We're going to look at Isaiah 64, 1 through 12 uh, this morning. Uh, the words will be up behind me, in front of you, if you've got it with you. Isaiah 64, 1 through 12. Uh, before we read it, let's pray. Oh God, as we as we take a few deep breaths, as we still ourselves, we humbly ask that you would make yourself known to us through your word. Holy Spirit, do what you do so that we might hear, so that we might feel deeply. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah writes, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter, we are the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. Your sacred cities have become a wasteland. Even Zion is a wasteland, Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and glorious temple where our ancestors praised you has been burned with fire, and all that we treasured lies in ruins. After all this, Lord, will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? Oh, that you would rend the heavens, tear them open, and come down. Oh, 
that you would rend the heavens and come down. I want to begin this morning by asking you to just bring to mind, think about the last time you really needed help. Like the last time you really needed help. Not the, hey, could you grab my water bottle when you come back in the living room? It's on the counter in the kitchen kind of help. No. The kind of help where you're stuck. Really stuck. And the only way you can get unstuck is if someone helps you. Like you're on stage with a guitar and you can't figure out your right rhythm. Sorry. I had to. Bring to mind the last time you really, really needed help. Our family needed help a couple of years ago. Many of you know this. We were on our way down to Florida uh, for uh, spring break. And we were driving through Missouri. And uh, we were driving at 70 miles an hour on the interstate. And the woman in the SUV next to us uh, lost control and hit, hit our van. And that was scary. Um, and so we were okay. Uh, Renee expertly, you know, drove us out of that one. Uh, we pulled over and help arrived quickly enough. Uh, we were okay. The woman who hit us was okay. Uh, it seemed like our van was okay, according to our amateur, you know, assessment and uh, the officer's amateur assessment of our vehicle. And so after two, two and a half hours, we we were like, okay, we got back on the road, headed, headed towards our, our next stop, halfway between here and, and Florida. And as we were driving, we, every time we hit a bump, we noticed that there was this buzzing noise. And we were like, what is that? Uh, it didn't seem too bad at first, so we kept driving. Um, and then it got worse because the roads somehow got worse and the bumps got bigger. And uh, the buzzing was really loud. And we're like, we better stop and check out what this is. And it was getting dark about six o'clock at night. And we pull over and use our flashlights on our phones. And we found out that the side of our van had been pushed in a little bit too far. And every time we hit a bump, it was shredding our tire. Our car, our vehicle was not okay. So here's what I did. I get on the phone, call the insurance company. And it turns out insurance companies don't like to have people working on the weekends. So they weren't able to send an adjuster out until Monday. And so here we are, we're stuck in Jackson, Tennessee. Uh, we get a hotel room, we eat at a McDonald's. Why we chose McDonald's, I have no idea. And the hamburgers were cold, the cheese wasn't even melted. It was frustrating. So then the next morning we were waiting for the insurance company to call, the adjuster to call, and we waited and we waited and we waited and we waited and, we waited, and the adjuster was not calling. We were stuck. We're thinking we're going to spend two days in Jackson, Tennessee, knowing nobody, not knowing what to do, missing out on three days in Florida in the sun. Nobody was calling. We were desperate. We were helpless. I remember praying to God, God, can you do something here? Because this just doesn't seem right. We felt desperate, hopeless. We thought we were going to leave our van in Jackson, Tennessee. We needed to get a rental car. And this was still we were still pandemicking at that point, and so all the rental cars were gone. We were stuck, helpless, hopeless. We did not know what to do. You remember the last time you were helpless, desperate, needed somebody else to come and help? Yeah, we have times in our lives, right, where we, where we are reminded just how frail our lives really are. These things happen, 
and they remind us of the basic human condition. And it starts out when we're infants, when we enter into this world, right? At that point, we need all the help. But if we're really honest with ourselves and the people around us, we know that we never really, we never really grow out of that. We always need some kind of, of help. It's one of the basic impulses of the human heart. We're frail. We know it. Help me. Help us. I need help. At the time of this writing, Israel felt pretty helpless. A couple hundred years before this, they had experienced almost unspeakable tragedy. Um, maybe you know this history, but we'll go through it anyway. Their military had been uh, conquered by the Babylonian military. The temple in Jerusalem, the place where they believed the very presence of God dwelled, right? the very center of their life as a nation, was burned to the ground. The Babylonians had slaughtered many of them and had taken the best and the brightest of them away, brought them to a foreign land, Babylon. We call this time in the period of Israel as the Babylonian captivity. They were exiles. And then a few generations later, they were set free and they were allowed to go back to their homeland. But when they arrived back home, it wasn't time for celebration. It wasn't time for, for dancing in the streets. They returned once again to a temple being burned to the ground. They returned home to, to harsh living conditions with an economy that was, that was all but dead. Like we think, we thought the Great Recession was bad. Uh, we thought the Great Depression was bad. They had nothing million times worse than anything we've ever experienced. They were a desperate people, broken. They had a home now, but it was shattered to pieces. So they felt, once again, like they were homeless. So they gathered together, because what else do you do when you're feeling helpless? They gathered together to worship. And while they were worshiping, it came time for, for the part of worship where they do this corporate prayer thing. We did it just a few moments ago. So Isaiah, normally the one who spoke, who spoke to the people on behalf of God, takes his place in the middle of all of them, and he speaks to God on behalf of the people. And the words he spoke came from that place, that, that basic impulse of the human heart. Oh, that you would rend the heavens Tear open the heavens, O Lord, and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you like a dependent little child. Isaiah cries, O God, help us. O God, we are powerless. Come down and save us. Look, I know. I get it. Help us, God. We're powerless, O Lord. It's not exactly the, the kind of space we like to inhabit, especially, especially not during Christmas. We don't like to inhabit this during... We want, we want celebration. We want joy. We want ham dinner with the family with the side of cheesy potatoes. At least, that's what I want. We want Santa and his reindeer. We want, 
We want Christmas carols. We want stockings. We want presents. We want eggnog. We want cookies and all the other good things. That's what we want during the Christmas season. But here's the deal. It's not Christmas yet. It's Advent. And Advent means something's coming on its way. In the weeks leading up to December 24 and December 25, Advent is about waiting. Advent, it's about, it's about hoping. It's about getting ready. It's about preparation. So Advent necessarily needs to begin from the place of vulnerability. It needs to, to begin in the place of, of desperation. It needs to begin in the place of, of helplessness. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. It's a good thing, too, because a good saving is what we all need, isn't it? I see these, these words from Isaiah sort of give us the reality of where we are. It's like a mirror. It shows it to us. The world is not all okay. It's not perfect. In fact, in a lot of ways, it's pretty broken. So let's dwell there for a moment, shall we? It sounds like fun. And we're not going to have to think about this for very long, and we're not going to have to think about it very hard, because there's brokenness all around us. Russia, Ukraine, people dying, Israel, Palestine, there's a war happening. Gaza is being torn apart. Children, children are dying. Apparently the ceasefire isn't, isn't a thing anymore. That's over. Ended pretty quickly. Think about our nation. The, the people who, who lead us seem to be unable to get past or beyond right versus left, liberal versus conservative. Nothing good seems to take place. It feels all so frustrating for us because it all just feels so, so broken. We wonder, where's the humility? Where's the grace? Where's the willingness to work together? Where's the willingness to compromise? It doesn't seem like they're demonstrating any sort of maturity whatsoever in the church. We're not immune to this. Patriarchy, homophobia, racism. It's infected the church so much so that churches can't get along and they split. Our denomination just went through that. Probably will go through a little bit more of that. It's not perfect. It's frustrating. It's maddening. It's broken. Maybe you've got some relationships right now that are strained or broken. Maybe your marriage isn't in the best place right now. Maybe you're not getting the kind of grades that you'd like to get in school. Maybe friends, maybe friends are hard to come by. Maybe some of us are feeling guilty because we're not able to afford the, the kind of gifts we'd love to afford for our kids during Christmas. Maybe someone you love is sick, like really, really sick. Maybe you're Maybe you're dealing with depression or anxiety. Maybe you're having a, a tough time kicking the drink or maybe you're filled with anger or hate or self-righteousness or, 
or pride? And if not you, maybe someone you love. And if not someone you love, then probably someone you know or work with. And if you're not feeling desperate right now, maybe you should. Maybe we all should. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and just come down already. Because we try to save ourselves every day, if we're honest about it. We try to save ourselves. We try to go it alone. We don't want to ask for help. We try to cover it up. We cover it up with things like lights and trees and tinsel, cover it up with mouthwash and cologne and perfume and deodorant. But all our trying ends up like, well, what does Isaiah say? He says all, our, all of our trying, all of our righteousness, it all ends up stinking like a pile of filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Our sins are too big for us, too large for us to take care of on our own. This is, this is reality. And if we don't begin from the place of vulnerability, from the place of desperation, from the place of helplessness, then what in the world are we waiting for during Advent anyway? Like if we can help ourselves, if we can make our lives all right, if we can make the world the way we want the world to be, then what are we waiting for? Why don't we get it done already? When Christmas comes, why do we celebrate? Oh Lord, would you just tear open the heavens and come down already? Because we're not getting it done. Help us, oh God. But what strikes me as amazing about this prayer from Isaiah is this. We may be powerless. We may be desperate. We may be helpless. Uh, but we're not hopeless. Isaiah speaks for the community of God, and his words are like a key that unlocks the door of hope. Ultimately, we have hope because of what God has done in the past. Listen to his words. For when you did awesome things that we didn't expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no one has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. He doesn't have to say it to say it. He doesn't have to get specific for all of their imaginations to just fire up. You better believe that when the people of God heard these words from Isaiah, they reached back in their collective memory. When you did things that we did not expect, suddenly they see Mount Sinai standing before them. And God is hidden by a dark cloud, gives them the law, Torah, the Ten Commandments, while the great mountain trembles. And then they reach back even, even farther back, and they, and they grab the memory of God making a way out of Egypt. They see God before them, tearing open the waters of the Red Sea, allowing them to cross over 
and taste the sweet freedom from slavery. God seems to be pretty good at tearing open the barriers that separate himself from humanity. Isaiah reminds them and gives them hope. In one of his books, C.S. Lewis writes these words. This is from Surprised by Joy. When we are lost in the woods, the sight of a signpost is a great matter. He who first sees it cries, look! And the whole party gathers round and stares. Imagine it. Close your eyes if you want. You're terrified. You're lost in the woods with three or four of your friends, and you've been wandering around for hours trying to find a way out. You are freezing cold. You've got no food, no water, and very little light as the sun slides down behind the trees and underneath the horizon. And out of nowhere, one of your friends yells, look, a sign. There's a trail a hundred yards that way. Suddenly, your desperation, your helplessness, your terror is replaced with hope as you realize that someone else has been where you are and they figured out a way out. And then they took the time to come back and plant a sign so that other people could find their way out too. For when you did awesome things that we didn't expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Isaiah gives the helpless human race a sign to look at. A sign that says someone else has been where you are before and they made it out. A sign that points to a, a future, a tomorrow that has a, a more than a good possibility of becoming different, maybe even better than today. So we begin Advent by just acknowledging the way things are. We're frail. We need help. We begin this Advent season tugging on the sleeve of the one who made us like a child, saying, help me. We begin this Advent season recognizing that we need someone beyond ourselves, someone bigger than ourselves to get things done for us because we just can't seem to do it on our own. But we also begin this Advent season looking at a sign, a sign that says someone's been here before, and they made it out. We know that God tore open the heavens and came down as a little baby boy named Jesus. We know that, that he walked around the road, walked the roads around Galilee and Jerusalem, teaching the human race how to heal, how to love, how to forgive, how to serve, how to give themselves away for the benefit of others, how to give ourselves, especially to those around us who really need help. And we know that he gave his life on a cross and three days later rose again, defeating the power of sin and death. So I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what your place of vulnerability is, where your place of, of helplessness I don't know what it looks like for you, but if you're honest with yourself, if you're honest with those 
around you. And if you're honest with God, then you've got that place. It's that place of, of helplessness. You know, we have signs. We call them sacraments. We have baptism. We participate in this ancient ritual of going underneath the water, death, coming up out of the water, new life, transformation, forgiveness, being made washed clean, white as snow. We've got, we've got the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Let those be signs for you. A sign that you're forgiven, a sign that you're healed, a sign that there's, that there's a way forward and a way out. Let it be a sign to you that points, that points to a tomorrow that has a, a more than good possibility of being different, maybe even, maybe even better than today. We may be helpless, but we are never hopeless because God is with us, and God is on your side.